I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Listen today as I talk to Jeff and Amanda Henderson, missionaries to Sao Paulo, Brazil. In this episode, they share about how Jeff overcame a major setback in his ministry career, why and how they made the decision to move onto the mission field in their 30s with three kids, how they've stepped into leading the church in Sao Paulo, and how God is working to bring revival to the church in Sao Paulo. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Merry Christmas 2023. It's Christmas week, and I hope you're enjoying a wonderful Christmas holiday this year. I am super grateful for the blessings of this past year and look forward to an amazing 2023. One of the things I'm most excited about this coming year is the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in Dallas, Texas on November 30th of 2023. And I really hope that you'll make the time, put it in your budget to go to Dallas, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're living, please, please, please try to go. Why? Because you're going to learn from other people that are in the same situation as you, people that want to grow, people that want to make their life count, people that want to grow their church or their ministry, or who want to make disciples, multiply leaders and churches. And you're going to be around a whole crowd of people that share your ambition, share your passion, and you're going to be lifted up. You're going to learn new techniques and learn new gifts. You're going to hear stories. You're going to make new friends, and you're going to have a great time doing it. So Please, please, please. We're going to get the registration going in the first quarter here this as soon as possible in uh, 2023. But please mark it out in your calendar, put the money into your your budget, and let's meet up in Dallas, November of 2023. Also, if you are interested in working on campus and then going on to lead your own church, I want you to consider coming to Tucson to train in the ministry for for campus ministry and then church leadership. As I've mentioned before, we have a great couple, Kevin and Erica Liu, who are moving on, and they're going to go and be missionaries in Eastern Europe in September. But I'm looking for a couple who'd like to lead the campus ministry and would like to overlap so that there's no gap. And uh, preferably, like right away in January, come on in, help out, work along with Kevin, Erica, myself, Ed Mejia and really build up the campus ministry at the University of Arizona in a very low-pressure situation because you're going to be there with other people. So if you're looking for someone to walk with you, to give you hands-on experience, hands-on help, discipling, email me. Give me a call. Uh, It's rob at robskinner.com. That's rob at robskinner.com, and let's talk about it. Also, I've got a new section called Life Advice. And so if you have questions about the ministry, about missionary work, about multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches, or dating, or anything else, go ahead and email it to me at rob at robskinner.com. I'm going to start answering questions at the end of my programs in the new year. So 
If you've got any any question, if you ever wondered about something, go ahead and email it to me and me. Either I or my wife will go ahead and answer those questions. And if you know of any any person or a topic you feel like I should cover in the new year, email me. Your ideas are important. They're always fresh. You can reach me at rob at robskinner.com. Jeff and Amanda, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having us, Rob. Thank you. It is awesome to have you guys on the program. Now, this is funny because, Jeff, we met a long, long time ago. Back, you you have relatives in Southern Oregon, and I think that was the first time we met, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I've got some of my dad's extended family lives not too far from where you guys were. The church building, in fact, in Ashland was... 10 or 12 minutes down the road from where my grandparents lived. It was pretty amazing, actually. I know. That was great. And then shortly after that, you went to San Antonio. You were in Seattle at the time. Well, let's get into it here. How did you guys become Christians? (laughs) How did we become Christians? Let's see. I became a Christian. Um, Let's see. First, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And I went to college on the East Coast at a small private fine arts school in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I was converted in my freshman year. I was coming back from soccer practice uh, and was stopped and invited to uh, a Bible talk. Uh, and uh, I felt very obligated. I felt like I couldn't lie uh, to get out of it. Um, I felt like I couldn't lie to a Christian. I, knew, I felt like that was a bad thing. Um, and uh, went and... Uh, actually the first time I went to Bible talk, I was like, this is cool, but I don't need more friends. So it wasn't until my life, um, got a little bit more tumultuous and I started making some poor decisions and my friends group was changing. Uh, that months later, I just randomly messaged the girl that reached out to me was like, are you still doing that Bible thing? Mm. Um, she's like, yeah, we're still doing that Bible thing. It's like, great. Can I go in? Honestly, the rest is history. I was baptized very shortly after that um, in 2009. So, yeah. Yeah, I was born and raised just south of Seattle in a small town called Auburn and went to the University of Washington. Um, I'm a pretty short guy, so uh, no one was asking me to play, you know, basketball or anything. So I was dreaming <laughs> of being an astronaut. That was the coolest job for a guy who's 5'5", five, five, I guess. So I, I went there, wanted to be an engineer, be an astronaut, do that. And it was actually my freshman year that uh, very similar to Amanda, where uh, our campus minister there, Alex, with another one of the Bible talk leaders, met me. I was working at a table and met me and said, hey, what are you doing? And I told him, explained it. I was working with an organization. And they said, that's great. Here's what I do. He said and explained to me just about the ministry and training leaders and studying the Bible and being like Jesus. And he's like, have you ever studied the Bible? And he didn't know that I went to probably about 20, maybe 25 different churches and religious groups. I think I went to a mosque. I talked to a couple of monks. I, I had I was searching for truth, but had really stopped, I guess, at the end of my, probably my senior year of high school, because I just found a lot of hypocrisy and was pretty disillusioned, I think pretty discouraged. And so when he said, hey, have you ever studied the Bible? I was like, well, yeah, I've been to church. He was like, that That was not my question. I was like, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. That was not the question. And then I was, and he goes, you want to study the Bible? I was like, yeah, I'd love that. And then he is in, he's from New York. He is an insufferable Yankees fan. (laughs) He did what any good New Yorker said. He goes, have you ever had New York style pizza? I was like, no. And so that next day we went, uh, went to Bible talk the next week. And then uh, I started studying the Bible and about 10 days got baptized. 10 days. Yeah. When, when was that? That I got baptized June 2nd of 2002. 
June second, two thousand two. Okay, so we're going way back there. You're you're you've you've been twenty years as a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I've kind of passed the halfway mark. I've been uh, faithful to Jesus longer than I wasn't. So, okay. Amen. Okay, so how how old are you guys? I just turned forty in October. Woo! <laughs> I'm thirty two. Okay, so Jeff, you you robbed the cradle. Uh, in Texas, you could say I was a shrewd, yeah, I made shrewd choices. No, uh, it's true. There was a little bit of a gap. That's that's why I had I had to wait a little while in order for me to find my bride. So, uh, even in Texas, we don't we don't encourage you to go quite that far back. Yeah, you know, it's uh, normal. But no, it's it's true. No, she's definitely much younger than me. Okay, so how how did you guys meet? How did we meet? Um, let's see. So we met in 2009. A few months after I was baptized, I was 18. Um, uh, there was a, a kind of a statewide conference in Houston, Texas. So everyone from San Antonio was in town. So Jeff was with that group. And I had connected with the Houston crew, uh, Houston church that was there. And uh, my roommate in college, uh, or not my roommate in college, um, the woman who was studying the Bible with me, her boyfriend was in San Antonio. Actually, both of the women who study the Bible with me in Baltimore were dating guys in San Antonio. So they got me connected to the San Antonio ministry while I was in Houston. And I went out to dinner with the whole San Antonio ministry and Jeff walked in. Um, and uh, I liked him immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he sat like catty corner from me. And I was just very impressed by him, his wits, his tone of voice, uh, his spirituality. I felt like I was crushing hard on a camp counselor. <laughs> uh, and he was like in the full-time ministry. And I was like, wow, like I even knew it was uncomfortable, but I just couldn't help it. Um, and uh, yeah, I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I felt like I'm a, literally a baby. I'm months old. I'm 18. I, I live across the country. There's no way. Um, I guess that's where it started. Yeah, I, I think I, I do remember that. I remember it less clearly than she does. Um, I had actually come in. I was in uh, at that point. I had I was in San Antonio. I guess a, a few years, but had done a long distance relationship before that. And wasn't in my mind. I had kind of put that as a non option. I just I was like, man, I tried that. I'm I'm not great at that. So uh, I wasn't necessarily thinking that way at the time. But actually, one of my best friends in the ministry. Uh, it still is. In fact, Cash McCard was leading the campus ministry that she was a part of. Mm -hmm. So I'd actually ended up going and visiting uh, several months, I think, after that, in fact. Um, and went on some dates with other sisters because he, you know, he's like, oh, come on up. I'll set you up in some dates. Come hang out, preach you a thing. And I, so, I wasn't even considered. Wasn't even considered. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, maybe, maybe not the like 18 year old brand new Christian. So, uh, <laughs> but it was so funny because even years later, when someone had mentioned like you know the idea of a man and i dating they're like no no way uh and then and then now he's very he's very happy to have been wrong uh but he did count the cost with her and help her to be faithful so i i owe cash a lot i feel like cash and maria uh they they they're, they're a huge part of our yeah, we love them okay so. so cash said hey you should take out amanda even though she's like oh. a no, actually, she wasn't. In fact, the idea of of even her, I think it was later after that trip, there's there's some kind of a conversation came up. Oh, what Amanda? And he was like, she's way too young. No, like, right. so it didn't really make sense at the time, but right. which, uh, yeah. But there had to have been a breakthrough. How'd you guys? 
Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> point. So my dad, um, let's see, the Christmas of my sophomore year, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And so I decided to move back to Houston, Texas, um, or just move back to Texas to be closer to my family, to be closer to him. Um, I'd gone home for a summer and that was really difficult. So I decided to actually go ahead and move to San Antonio because uh, at the time, my actual roommate and the sister that studied the Bible with me was moving to San Antonio as well. So we actually ended up moving together. Wow. So uh, San Antonio and Houston are pretty close together. And my parents lived way out in the middle of nowhere. So it was close enough where I could be part of a really great church and uh, get into the university in San Antonio uh, and then travel a lot on weekends to visit my dad. So once I moved to San Antonio... Yeah. Uh, that's when things really got started. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though he didn't call me before I moved down, I did. just to you know <laughs> talk business about me transitioning. Um, business, <laughs> well, <turning into> spiritual <laughs> transition. Yes. Oh, I, uh, I think I think, concern I think at that point the connect the connection and the idea of of this might not have to be long distance. I think I went oh. Oh, there you go. Okay. So then you guys are in the same town. How long did you guys date before you got married? Let's see. We got engaged after nine months and then got married. Let's see, we started dating in October and then we got married the next December. Okay. So you were still in school when you got married. Yes, I was. Yeah, yes. I was finishing my master's. We were both in school. Wow. Okay. Awesome. And and how many kids do you guys have? Three, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely only yeah. three, yeah, and think, yeah. no more coming. Yeah, I think that's all. <laughs> no <yeah>. more. <laughs> and how old? Like how old are your kids? Uh, our oldest, Millicent, is six. Our middle, Juniper, is five, and then Trey, our youngest, is three and a half. Wow. Okay. So six, five, and three. Yeah. Really close in age. Wow. Yeah. We had three under three there for a bit. So. Oh my gosh. You were, you're were on roller skates there, Amanda, weren't you? <laughs> and for one month in the year, it'll be six, five, and four for oh. one month. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. So give, give me an overview of your ministry career. Like what, what's happened since you guys got together since, since college uh, for, for you, Jeff, it's a little bit longer. Yeah. So I had, I became Christian in 2002, and then obviously that with after the letter and a lot of the the campus ministry conferences and all those things really pulled back for a couple of years, and Mike Tolliver and the team kind of in San Antonio uh, tried to restart the ICMCs in San Antonio. I believe this was May of 2005, if I remember right. And there was an announcement, hey, we're going to do a summer internship in LA, and I think it was Bruce and Bruce Williams and Steve Stevenson were doing it. And so I applied and I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Spend a summer and train and the whole thing. And so I put an application, they accepted it. So I came down and spent that first summer of 05 and then came back and did the summer of 2006 there. And I had met Marty Wilkinson on the buses actually coming back from, I think it was the Hope activity or something they were doing. And he said, hey, have you met Mike? And I was like, I haven't. And didn't really kind of connect that uh, when I was a Two, year, two week old Christian and we were just dreaming with a couple of the other young Christians who, you know, we wanted to do ministry and we were dreaming of it. Who do you want to train? You know, I was like Scott Green, who was leading Seattle at that point. I was like, or this guy, Mike Taliaferro. So I never made <laughs> the Oliver, Mike Taliaferro, you know, kind of connection. Right, there. Right. 
Uh, and so, and it was literally about five minutes between a meeting and, and Marty had introduced us. I'd said, I had a mic and over, you know, the next couple, actually it was about, I guess, probably about, I don't know, a month, month and a half later, um, Mike had given me a call and I was back. I was kind of finishing up the internship in Long Beach and he said, Hey, we would love to give you an offer to in the ministry. Um, well, actually what he offered, he said, Hey, you want to come down next weekend? And I thought to interview and I was like, Oh, sure. Let me talk with Steve and figure this out. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not asking you to come down and interview. I'm, I'm asking you to move down and train in the ministry. And I was like, uh, kind of stunned there. And it was a dream come true. And so I packed up my 1995 Saturn, uh, <laughs> drove across the country. And uh, that was August of 06 and literally lived there for and, and did ministry there for almost 15 years until we moved to Brazil. Wow. Um, but there was a, a time there after about four or five years where I had come out of the ministry for about a year, a little less than a year. Um, a lot of my character came out. It was just, I just didn't have a lot of character, a lot of, you know, lying and the lack of integrity. And it wasn't really about the ministry stuff. It was actually about, you know, personal stuff, actually finishing school and all this other stuff. Everyone knew that I didn't finish school. I had about a semester left when I moved down. Um, but I think there was just a lot of shame. I'd always been kind of the, the know-it-all, the short, fat, smart kids. So not having enough discipline to finish that, there was just a lot of shame. And mm. it was, and so kind of lied, lied about that, spun that. And, and it, as it came out, basically Mike, Mike hired me when no one would have hired me. Um, and Mike fired me when no one would have fired me because mm. the ministry was going really well, but my character needed mm. serious work. Mm. So I had come out, which I thought was forever. And this would have been, this was in 2011, I guess. I was there in there about four or five years. Um, and then actually the first date we went on, was the day I talked with Mike and one of the elders about, you know, resigning. It was a very, it was a merciful fire. It was, you know, they let me resign. Uh -huh. So we went out on our first date with a man and she's and that same day, that same evening. And she's like, Hey, how are you? And I was in my head going, this is going to go really well. Or this and so I kind of went and I told her everything. I was like, this is actually what's happening right now. Mm. And Thankfully, she read that as vulnerability. I'm not entirely sure that would have played that well in different scenarios, but uh, but it was is actually after that, about 11 months later, um, I came and I was talking with Mike about. I was like, I finished my finished my undergrad, everything was great. Started my master's program and was thinking about PhD programs. I was, I was just dreaming about, you know, I needed to get another dream because I would rather be. Uh, I'd rather. rather I don't know. I'd, I'd rather be a, a real disciple and a real professional than be a fake evangelist. I just uh -huh. wasn't going to do it. And I, and I didn't want to be that. So I was getting another dream and how could I serve God and the kingdom and the whole deal. And so I asked Mike, we got lunch and I was like, Mike, I think I want to marry this girl. What do you think? And we kind of have this plan. She wants to do a master's in fine arts. I want to do a PhD. We are going to pick four or five cities, apply to programs, see where we land, if in the same city. And then what do you think? And he said, marry the girl. Yeah, that's, that's a no brainer. Of course. She's amazing. Everyone that knows Amanda goes, yep, that's, that's clear. Uh, but the PhD goes, don't, don't do your doctorate, come back in the ministry. Um, and so that was right before the WDS. This, this was, I guess, in uh, June of 2012. So when I came back in the ministry, he basically said, well, why don't you both come? Oh. And that's when we kind of got a chance. We were, we were about to be engaged. In fact, I, you know, and, uh, yeah. So I know that was at 11. That mm -hmm. was two, that was June of 2011. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And so we, 
we came back in together and about a month later, I proposed up at the, uh, in the mountains, Estes Park, of that ICMC we had up in the middle of Denver, you know, just uh, in Denver was in Colorado, that was beautiful. So yeah, and then that's where we kind of started ministry together and we've been together ever since. Wow. Amanda, when did you decide you wanted to do ministry? So I was in Baltimore when I thought the ministry was incredible. I was so excited. I remember having a conversation with my friend, Sarah, and we kind of both on a drive home from like a leaders meeting, it's like, do you want to do this for like the rest of your life? And we both were kind of like, yeah, like this is, I can't think of anything more I'd want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and then my dad, you know, had cancer. So I had to go back home. And I, I mean, I was such a baby Christian. I didn't really know anything about the church. I didn't know anything about training or other church cultures or <laughs> other church communities in any other city. Um, and so I, it, it's the, the church in Baltimore is kind of, um, seemed like a really great place to, to, to really train and really work. So I thought I was actually moving away from that dream of going to the ministry by moving to San Antonio. Mm. Um, and, uh, I was a little sad, but I ultimately had to decide. I just felt like this time with my dad, I would never get it back. I had some great input from a sister, um, that I will forever be in debt to her for her input. Mm. Um, and I, it was amazing that time I was able to go back and spend with my dad. And I had no idea I was moving to a city that, um, was just had incredible training. And, um, and I remember when I got there, I was like, oh, wow, this is a really cool ministry. Like maybe, maybe ministry might work here. And then I started dating a guy who basically got quasi fired that mm -hmm. felt certain that we weren't going to be doing this. I was like, Oh, but I, lo I, I loved Jeff more than the ministry. So I said, okay, so let's pursue our master's and doctorate. That sounds great. So I remember we were at a brake check, getting the brakes done on my car. And Jeff was like, hey, I want to tell you about a conversation I had with Mike. Uh, he didn't tell me he you know, was asking to propose and what his thoughts were, but did share about Mike calling him back in the ministry. I was like freaking out. I was so excited. <laughs> I was like, and he was like, I'll be honest, I did not expect this reaction from you. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I would have done my master's. I'm so excited. I don't even really know what this means. I'm still pretty young, actually, <laughs> at this point as a disciple too. I just um just just felt just so excited. I felt like uh at one point I had felt called in ministry, thought I was turning away. Um, and who knew that this was a part of God's plan? And I was so excited that um that that both of us were were desiring this and wanting this and um, but it was harder second time, maybe you can share, it was harder second time, Jeff, um, kind of making this call because of, of the cost he had to count. Yeah, I think for me, it was a little, it was a little different. The initial time, mm. there wasn't much to lose. Most of the, the idea of losing something or the sacrifice was maybe the potential of doing another job, but there wasn't, there wasn't a lot to lose. It was exciting. It was kind of like cliff diving, I guess. I don't know, a parachute. It was just exciting. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> And I had to fight my own fear probably more than anything. Yeah. Um, but the second time I was like, man, I already, I burned this house down before for my lack of character. Am I sure I want to burn it down with a wife and maybe kids inside? Right. But for me, it was a little bit more sobering. It was, it was less just excitement. And I feel like it was more, um, if God's calling, I have to run, not walk. Mm. And and it's different. And I think running after that, it wasn't about my ego anymore. It wasn't about my insecurity. It wasn't about, do I do this because I can't make it in the world or 
or all these, I think maybe questions or doubts in the back of my head, it really had to be, it was going to be about God and I was going to trust him or not. Right. And that to me, that was a very, it was a different kind of a call, I think. So for her, she was, she was like, yeah, me, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So, masters of God. Yeah. So in some ways it was the second, uh, the second time for me was, was probably more real. Yeah. It was more, you know, it was it's interesting. I appreciate your sharing that. And, and that's being vulnerable right there to share that. I mean, this happened, you know, a lot more in the past, a pre internet days with people. I, I remember as a, back in the 1900s in the previous century, like, you know, song leader finding out that he was, you know, he's in the ministry, but he was, he was, had a homosexual background um, that got discovered. That was, you know, then there was a guy in the ministry who said he graduated from Berkeley, but he hadn't. And, you know, they got fired and, and then I've run into people over time that had far, far more elaborate double lives going on than what you're describing there. I mean, just, you know, former surgeons or, you know, just crazy, crazy stories. Um, how'd you, how'd you recover from that, Jeff? And like, how did you get back on your feet? I mean, it's, it's inspiring that you, you, you tripped, you fell, but you got back and any advice you'd give to a person who feels like they've made like a fatal error or, or a problem, you know, some major, major mistake in their life. And they're feeling like, I don't know if I can recover from this. How'd you get back on your feet and what advice would you give? It's a great question. I, I, I think for me, there's a lot of lessons I think I've learned through that whole thing. And one of which is that character at the end of the day, it's about character. It's, it's about who you are and especially when no one's watching. And I think far more, it seems to me, especially after a lot more Bible study and even time, you know, thinking through processing, repenting, being honest, that God seems to use people who have enough guts to be real more than he uses just pure talent. And I think it's kind of become a bit of a mantra and focus. Of course, we need, we need a certain amount of talent, even in leadership or ministry or whatever. Of course, talent's required at some level. But, if, but now even, I'll, I'll take the high character, medium talent guy over the opposite every day of the week. Give me the character, because at least the, the the three talent dude with 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 character will actually out talent the five talent guy because he'll multiply him. He's got enough humility to do that. And I don't think for a long time I had enough humility. Really, it was a lack of humility and discipline, um, as well as a real serious amount of integrity. And it drove me to figure out why why am I lying? Like these men that never gave me a reason ever. They knew, in fact, they knew everything when I came. It wasn't like I even had to start, uh, you know, kind of a step back and, and finding out a lot of my own shame and embarrassment and insecurity and what I took a lot of, um, yeah, security and pride in, for lack of a better word, how I kind of formed my own identity. Those are deep things. And I think if someone's saying, man, I, I feel like I've, I've just made a mistake. Part of it is that I think sometimes we just really just deal with behavior and we don't drive deep enough to go, what's going on in my character here? What's up with this? Where, mm -hmm. where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. 
not every mistake is a deep character flaw. That's not, I mean, we don't want to overcomplicate or over, you know, over make it more profound or something than it really is. But I I do think for me, there was this massive misunderstanding of God's grace and even how and God's love and what's going on there and how does God use people. Was it something was it something that you confessed or is it something that was discovered uh, inadvertently some they some somehow it came out yeah it was actually mike came to one of the devos and heard, heard me preach the whole which i think the whole point at that devo was just to kind of get a chance to give me some feedback and hear me preaching and there was one line that i had said which is you know that i had been published which in kind of collegiate research and university research i mean a lot of people that's that's a big deal i mean you're trying to get that and what that means when anybody who Here's that. What that means is your name is on a paper. You're an author on a published page, page uh, like some sort of a paper or research material that's been published in a journal. And that's a big deal, especially if you're in the academic world. And this kind of lying, embellishing, making this better than it was. Now, right. I had, when I was a freshman, I was a part of, I was in an honors engineering program, got pulled into a research program, mm. a research department at UW, which was a big deal which I didn't know anything. Like these guys were basically letting a couple of freshmen that they thought were promising. And after 20 years of help, you might do something worthwhile with your life. But it was just grace. These guys were pulling us along and they allowed us to be a part of this project, which actually was a patent, it was a patent um, application and it was it, it was published. So I'm, my name might be a part of the team or something somewhere in that Got publication. It. But my own insecurity, a lot of it was, was just wanting this to sound better than it was. Right. Right. I heard that and went, hold on, you were published? And that one string. Oh boy. It was like, and then it just, and then it was for, and, and, and what was scary to me wasn't that I had premeditatedly heard this, covered it up. It was how hard my heart was mm. and how I, had, there was no conscience about it. It was so driven and it, and actually having to dig back, like even in my own past, like how long have I been doing this? Mm just so embarrassed about who I am or I'm not cool enough or I'm not whatever. And so, which is, a, is which actually takes a lot of courage. That was a scary journey for me. So oh, gosh. Probably well, another podcast episode, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate, I appreciate your sharing that. And so he dug in a little bit and then all of a sudden it, it all unraveled. Well, it's, it's impressive how you've come back. And I think especially in the cancel culture of today, it's awesome that you know, you've, you've rebuilt, strengthened and come back stronger than ever. So I think it offers inspiration and hope for everybody, uh, who's, who's gone through difficulties. Well, let's, you, you were 15 years, Jeff, in ministry in San Antonio. You're doing great. It's an amazing church. It's got a great reputation. You've got a great leader in Mike. And then you just decide, hey, I'm going to go to Brazil. You've got three <laughs> three little kids. I mean, this really took me off guard. I'm like, what? What's going on? You've got this happy marriage. You're you're buying property there in Texas. You know, you're everything's going great. What what got into you? Like, how how did you decide to go to Brazil? That's it's a reasonable question. Um, <laughs> okay, so we. We had been dreaming of being missionaries for a long time. Um, sorry, welcome to Brazil. These are the no the problem, no problem. Pattern. And we had been dreaming of going overseas, and and we had had a relationship, and we're kind of dreaming about building this relationship and continuing to serve with our churches in Africa. 
And it seemed like God had put different potential opportunities over the years. And we were like, okay, let's not get distracted by the shiny things. Let's focus. And, um, and Africa was on our mind. We we're like, let's, let's really focus for that. But God closed that door. And this was about, well, goodness, I guess this would have been about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that door closed. And we were like, or maybe closed in our own mind. Maybe God had closed it much before that. But <laughs> for us, we're like, oh, this isn't an option. Mm-hmm. Wow, this isn't an opportunity to serve. And then we kind of went, oh, my goodness. All right, God, what do we do? Now, at that moment, there was a need in San Antonio. We had been doing campus ministry for a long time, training up the young staff, working alongside Mike and Ibrajee, but really focusing on the young, training, had our campus group, loved it. Um, but there, there was a vacancy now and in, in the north region in San Antonio, and they said, we really need you. you you're not going. This transition or this option isn't, this door is closed. Would you do the north region and, and help there? Which we really need the training and never had that in that kind of an environment. And for me, I was like, goodness. I don't know how many people are going to essentially be able to learn how to leading a region like that. It's almost like leading a small church within a church. Sure. I mean, you're kind of a chance to learn that, learn the ropes in that regards with, with the trainers, right? Right. Eight minutes down the road from us. We're like mm-hmm. this. Yeah, let's, that's great. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but all the while kind of going, God, what, what are you doing? And it was my birthday. It was my 36th, 37th birthday, 36th birthday. It was four years ago. This was before we went. And uh, we're sitting there, we have some friends and we're something small at my house. And I was like, all right. Uh, I was like, Mike, you know, the risk board from 30 years, you know, 35 years ago when they were going out kind of in our churches and planting the, the church, the, the risk board was empty. You know, if you kind of know that board game and all the countries are there, but very few teams had been sent. They were just dreaming and going. Mm-hmm. And I was like, a lot of that risk board, that, that, that map has been filled now. You know, the people, you know, us mm-hmm. deeply. And I certainly am not, I don't think everyone would want us. It's not, you know, but like, you know, clearly, I mean, but knowing us, knowing maybe nobody else I can think of knows the whole board personally, the way they do relationally. And I was like, where should we be considering? If we, if we could dream, if you're us, where would you be dreaming? And he kind of, he was almost pretty, he just taking a drink or something. And he was like, well, I got to pray about that. I was like, no, no, I don't want your prayers. I want to hear what, what's on your mind. What's right. the first thing? Right. And, and he said, so Paul. Wow. And so, and he had known that situation. And, and what we didn't know is that actually a couple of conversations were happening that we weren't a part of, which were basically, hey, can the Hendersons kind of do something that they were dreaming of doing in Africa? Is that possible to do in Brazil? Mm. And that started a conversation. Wow. And so, and then a much longer, cooler story about pen pals, um, you know, basically a church, you know, kind of a, a rural church leader in Mozambique had exchanged letters pen pal letters right my, when, when they were leading the church in sao paulo all in portuguese right this guy was in mozambique and so at that time the, the this old minister had sent an email and said hey look i got these stack of email. i got the stack i kept all of these letters mm-hmm. all about ministry and stuff right and now we'd love to get connected so they were talking about these four or five rural churches so there's this whole situation happening in mozambique and mike and Amrajit go we can't go and preach at this conference in Sao Paulo. We've got to go to Mozambique and help this situation. This is God's just opening this door. Can you guys go for us? Wow. And we said, sure. And and it was for us, it was more of a, yeah, I, I mean, we'll go, we'll take a few days, get to the church, see if what God does. And the guy was the, my, the West region leader. Now my, the former church leader, um, Georgie, Bitcoin, amazing, brilliant, and very shrewd. 
uh, turned that into about a nine or 10 day long job interview. Because uh, <laughs> he, he, he was like, oh, I know where this is going. Let's get, let's get on this truck and, and get it going. So, mm-hmm. and then the rest was history. We had a brilliant time wow. and that opened the door. And long story short. Okay. It was, it so you wanted, was, you wanted to go overseas. You wanted to go to Africa originally. You got redirected to Brazil. When did you guys mm-hmm. get there? Like our, the first time we visited or like when we arrived? When did you move there? February will be two years. So we've been there about 20 months now. Oh my gosh, you guys have been there. Wow, the time has flown. So February of 20... Yeah, February of 2021. Okay, so, so right during COVID. And back down to the pandemic, yeah. Okay, yeah. so what I want to know is like, that's a huge decision. You got little kids and it's funny. I talk to people and it's not not everybody but there's a number there are a number of people that are like man i really want to do missionary work but what about the kids and it's you know so challenging how okay for, for you jeff like how did you pull the trigger on this how did you just go okay we're we're just going to do it we're going to pull up the roots and for you amanda you've got young kids how how did you make that decision Jeez. You want to start first? Yeah. Well, I think what was amazing is the first time we ever visited Sao Paulo, uh, I had just had Trey. So I, Trey was not even three months old or was three months old when I first brought him to Sao Paulo. Uh, and that was amazing. We won hearts. Honestly, I, I feel like that's also how the Lord worked was like, I'm in a foreign country with a newborn and this really worked well. Um, I make this joke a lot, but literally when we got there, he started like sleeping through the night, which for a newborn at that time is like five or six hours, uh, which amen, that's a miracle. (laughs) Uh, And literally the first day we got there and every night following he slept through the night. And I should have known then in that (laughs) moment, the Lord was making it very clear where we should be because the experience there was just amazing. Um, and it was amazing to have, uh, even one of our kids with us during this process. It was, it was amazing. Um, I, I kind of forgot his question. I'll be honest. (laughs) Well, Um, what's, what's, how do you do it? I mean, you've got young kids, like how, just pulling up roots and going. Um, I mean, it's tough, it's tough and it's tough enough in the United States in a place that's closer to your family, but all of a sudden foreign, foreign field foreign culture. No, it's, it's a great question. I think some of this kind of comes back a little bit to what we said or what I said earlier. Like we were really praying of like, God, is this you? Mm-hmm. Like, are we being called or are we kind of, I don't know, manufacturing a call. I don't think we do that, but I mean, right. it's funny because sometimes even when people like I would say for many years, like, I want to go somewhere or I want to serve or, man, I want to make a difference, which is brilliant. I mean, I think that's right. I think that's right heart. But I think being able to go, it's different when we're going, God, are you calling? And this whole process with Brazil, it was spooky, kind of clear. How much, I mean, the Holy Spirit was working in ways that was very clear and very, like, kind of weird. And I don't mean that, like, in a disrespectful way, but I mean, it was like, whoa, there are so many different pieces to this that it, if this isn't God, it, it then there's no other explanation. Mm-hmm. And for like, us, that was, like what? Give me, give me one example of that. Give, give me a spooky example. Um, besides our newborn sleeping through the night. Um, 
Um, but also, I mean, there, there was a number of there was a number of serious conversations and decisions being made here mm-hmm. uh, in Sao Paulo. And we, we, we said we got some great advice before we came. And they said, look, don't get on the plane without having said everything that's on your heart and mind, because it's a little bit like speed dating. And if you get on a plane and an offer is made to to come and to move, you just want to say everything. You, you, everyone wants to be clear and honest. Right. And so we, we had some of those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. about some really big things and some things that we were feeling or seeing or things that they had seen or were talking about or issues, everything from the training we got in the North region that was exactly mm-hmm. like to the, all we're doing is changing American for Brazilian names. Mm-hmm. They're going, theoretically, how would you deal with the situation? I was like, this is the last three months of our lives. And wow. I mean, where, where the details were like, man, did you guys like call Mike and Imogene, ask about a, a couple, like there were situations, there were indicators, there was support, there was major kind of even theological and leadership decisions being made and they wanted to have conversation. It was just all of these different things where we went, can we be useful? Amanda, how'd you know that, that this was God's will for you guys to go there? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think when we went for our first visit to Brazil, I was really hoping I would personally feel called. Um, I was really praying about this. Um, but honestly, some of my own personal conviction is if, even if it's just Jeff that feels called, then I'm going and I'm following. <laughs> and I'm going to get really excited about it. Um, I never felt like I had to personally feel called in order to, to follow and to go. Uh, but I was really praying about this. And I think when we went to go visit, um, we went to this incredible campus ministry conference uh, with with all these really young uh, Brazilian students that were just excited. Uh, and there were so many young women who were desiring the ministry that were curious, that were fired up, that asked so many questions. And I just felt the whole time like their their humility was just overwhelming. And they were looking to me to answer so many of these questions. And I think just in that moment at that retreat, I was like, I can be utilized here. Like, I felt like it just became clear in that moment that all this training, that all all the people that have poured into me, the incredible women in my life that have just poured in wisdom and help and training and um, teaching and correction where needed um, and just help that's really helped mold me that like, mm. I just was like, I can do this here with these women and right. they want it. And, right. and, and I could be used here. Oh, so absolutely. That was, that's, that's so really awesome. Cool. So you, you felt like you were the right tool for the job. Like you, you're perfectly designed for what you you're being called to. So it felt comfortable. And I think this leads to a, a really important point for missions. And for those who are, you know, thinking about wanting to do something, it's like, you don't realize how gifted you are for a different situation until you actually go there. You know, like whether it's a mission team or foreign mission field, you realize I've been given a ton, but you may not even realize it in your current situation. Exactly. No, it's true. And I, and I think that's where I think the, the, the first encouragement, sometimes we're tempted to run towards needs. And, but an untrained servant can often come in and multiply problems. Right? So, <laughs> solutions. so I think part of it is when our, when our goal is one, we need to grow personally, obviously, and have the spirituality and faith and love. Of course, right. that, that's going to happen if we let God mold right. us. But I think we run towards training first. Mm. Then we bring solutions. Mm. Then we can be a firefighter and then train firefighters. Yeah. That and that I think might be the number one call. That's maybe awesome. the number one need I think that we have right now. But okay, you know. so when you first landed, 
your boots hit the ground. What'd you do the first hundred days? What, what was your game plan? What, what was it like? Can you describe it? We were trapped in an apartment for a hundred days <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. All the playgrounds were closed. We lived in a, a smaller apartment with our three kids and it was just utter joyous chaos. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pandemonium. I mean, it was a little different. I mean, our, our transition happened February of 2021. So we're kind of smack dab in the middle of pandemic. Brazil didn't flip flop, like open and close a little bit. In fact, we were kind of coming in and it was a red face. So even outdoor playground equipment and parks were shut down. They were taped up. So kids couldn't go out and play. And normal life, you know, you can imagine kind of New York City life. Sao Paulo is a small city of about 23 million people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like fifth largest in the world. It's huge. It's 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 unbelievable. It really is impressive. And and so apartment living is pretty normal. And then you've got security. So there's all, you know, kind of the normal kind of enclosures and security and all that other good stuff. Well, so for us, the first hundred days, we weren't able to do the normal preparatory type trips, coming in, find a car, find schools for your kids. Public school here is a lot like Africa. It's basically not an option unless you absolutely have to. So because the public infrastructure on the, for the grade school kids is really, really bad. The university is incredible. It's actually the best and it's free if you get in but the, the the educational system is terrible. So a lot of this is us finding school, car, an apartment for us. We were in an Airbnb the first month. And when we wanted to do, when we were planning to do our lessons, um, the year before we, you know, the, the we had a generic kind of launch date about January or February of 21. We literally were gonna start our lessons in March of 20. And that is the month everything shut down because of the pandemic. Uh -huh. So we didn't have the normal prep to go. We sold our stuff, which means we gave away about 95% of things that we had. Uh -huh. And then when we showed up, it was, okay, how do you, how do you rent an apartment? And, and with, with a lot of the help we had was, was a distance. There's a couple of people that were able to help us and because of pandemic and a lot of the isolation and stuff. So it was a really interesting time. It was definitely not normal textbook transition. Uh, and it certainly wasn't ministry strategy, you know, and that sort of thing. We were just trying to, I mean, at that point, supermarket trips were usually, you know, two or three hour long, you know, mild panic attacks. So it was just, <laughs> it, was wild, man. it was like wow. standing under the, the waterfall. It, it just came at you, which was wild and amazing. So, but, uh, so did you, start learning the language you go to school like what how did you learn portuguese well the first the first year we were here we had tried to secure a language instructor now the year that we were in san antonio beforehand about i guess about eight or nine months there was an incredible sister that was down here she was a language teacher we had about an hour to a week at a distance but this was also when everything was shut down in, in the US. So we didn't even, we had one family in our home the entire year. Mm. So an hour or two a week, we were also having our kids in the house and it was, it, it wasn't a normal language experience for sure. And the first year, once we got here, it was, we tried actually to get language instruction and couldn't. So we really started our language classes in this February. Mm -hmm. So we've really only been doing language instruction, I guess for about nine months, really, maybe 10 months, I guess. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, 
Okay, I didn't know that. So you weren't, you're just taking online courses or something like that during that 2021 year? Not yeah, really? Yeah, are you talking in the U.S. or once we No, arrived? once you arrived. No, once we arrived in Brazil, we, we tried and to like five or six different, well, company, there were, there were five or six different instructors. Okay. And, and we couldn't get anything to land. Oh my to, gosh. So okay. Land. What a drag. Okay. So you're in a foreign, <laughs> foreign church. Okay. But you can't even learn the language. Okay. How's it going now? Like where are you guys at in terms of your language ac- acquisition? I, I am progressing every month. Um, I really enjoy learning Portuguese. Uh, I had a very hard time learning English growing up uh, <laughs> I was put in that special I was removed from my you know normal classmates and put in a special class at the library for the special kids uh, who had a really hard time reading and writing uh, beautiful that yeah oh yeah oh you know it mm-hmm. um and so I had a really hard time with English uh and avoided it at all costs uh so take out a second language um what hasn't been easy, mm. uh, but I really love the Portuguese language. I think uh, we have found a language program that I just fully trust, and my professors are amazing. I feel quite certain there's a lot of people that probably feel I should be much further ahead, but where my learning experience is at, how I learn, I have found something that works uh, that can also calculate my progress, and I'm enjoying the process. I'm enjoying the learning. Um, I am a little slower and I just decided like eight months ago, I'm just going to be really secure. It's going to be <laughs> it, but I am committed and I have a program that's going to help me towards fluency that will get me fluent um, in my own time. But right. Yes. <laughs> well, Jeff, you must be feeling, pre- are you, are you preaching at all in, in Portuguese? Are you speaking in English with translation? What are you, where are you at Jeff? I guess what we've been preaching in pretty much almost everything we're doing is in Portuguese. Oh my God. Already. And, wow. Yeah. That, and that started probably about six months ago, mm. something, maybe six, eight months ago, something like that. And preaching. Yeah. I mean, Sundays we do, we're doing, I mean, staff meetings and a lot of counseling situations. We have a cut, we have a few couples that were able to function in English because they're fluent, but besides a few of the exceptions, pretty much everything is in, mm-hmm. is in Portuguese. Yeah. Wow. How'd you make that transition to all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to go all in here. I mean, you really didn't have a satisfactory preparation time. You just had to kind of step into it. Well, I think, well, so we got some phenomenal advice. Some of it was actually from you, actually, good sir. Um, which is, I think our mentality has been, we're, we're not coming to just be functional in the language to quote unquote be missionaries. We're coming down here to be resilient. Mm-hmm. However long God will have us do that. Yeah. And that includes, I'm not, I'm not rooting for USA in the World Cup. You know what I'm saying? I had my, <laughs> I had my Brazil, my Brazil jersey, got the flag, we're going nuts. You're Brazilian, baby. So, so for us, I think that that in our mind is that we're going, we're going to learn the language culture. We're, we're coming here to be as Brazilian as we can be knowing that that's awesome. American. But I, so for us, that's like seeing, I guess, maybe seeing some of the long, the long game. And that is, we're really trying to do this right and do wow. this well and be of service 
to the Portuguese speaking churches in Africa needed too, because they also have the same kind of cultural isolation angle in Mozambique because of language, how distinct it is, but Brazil, especially. So, okay. So a couple add on questions there. First of all, um, how's Millicent doing your six year old picking up the language? Oh my goodness. I made a recording of her this morning to send to my family. She's like conversationally fluent. Um, (laughs) We had a end of the year teacher parent conference uh, and she is right where her classmates are at. Oh my um, gosh. Junie, Junie is, is speaking very well too. And honestly, so is Trey. Um, <laughs> no, American, no, 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 it's true. And we have, um, even, uh, I mean, well, like all of our friends are Brazilian except for like one, but they just speak to them only in Portuguese. Like when they don't, they don't need English. They don't need translation. They are completely functional. It's not even survival. Like it's, it's where they should be at for their ages. Oh my like, gosh. So full, full fluency. Incredible. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that just drive you nuts? You just go, oh gosh, give, give me some of that mojo. What, whatever you got going, give it to me. Oh gosh. <laughs> Professor Millicent will come on to your podcast and help you and teach you. You look like what a dose of humility when your kid's like, dad, that, that's actually not. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. So sorry about that. Brazilian soccer loss. Uh, was it to Croatia that they lost? Croatia. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, that's, uh, we don't have to talk about what, Yeah. The what, suffering is real. It's still a little fresh. What was it like? Where were you during the world cup and especially during that loss? And what, what, what were the crowds like? Were you out in the crowd? Were you just at home? Were you with friends? Can you explain that? Okay. So the culture here around world cup time is incredible. Like, jobs stop like you get to go home you get like you have three like literally from the time it starts till it ends like the full hour before the game starts you don't want to be outside of your home the traffic is insane everyone is going back home like life in Sao Paulo stops it is so cool so we hosted every game at our house um because in Sao Paulo everybody walks everywhere that's a lots of walking culture um and so we had a game here uh so it was it was very devastating uh here at home and it was so it was so uh so left so unsatisfied it was so discouraging it was so painful (laughs) it was fun yeah you Uh, you have to pick your kids up from school an hour before the game yeah like school ends it's crazy companies are like you don't (laughs) if you want to order food or you want something like they're not operating right right Everything shuts down. Everything shuts down. Oh boy. Okay. Now, what? Tell me, what are some of the challenges you're facing? I mean, you've already shared a little bit. I mean, just the fact that you went during the pandemic that proposed, you know, a huge challenge. Anything else? Like what? Like if a person were thinking about it, like what? What? What have you experienced? Well, this is this one of the things that I think we're also really grateful for. A lot of the training relationship with Mike and Ibrahim is we knew we knew a bit of the story of the Sao Paulo church and we were we were sober to that we were were very as much as we could be I think empathetic and understanding but but one of the biggest challenges so the Sao Paulo church when the letter was released and really a lot of the implosion happened here in 2003 it was a church that was 4,000 members that went to 900 members in 90 days. So it's very difficult to 
describe some and even identify, to be honest with you, when you're in it, especially when you're in the culture of how deep some of those wounds go and how they still echo. Um, and so we knew that coming here that and there's no, you know, and there this is a church that didn't use the really the the title evangelist for almost 20 years. Um, certainly, you know, I don't know if it's been 10 or maybe 15 years since American and evangelist had been used in the same sentence. So it wasn't, there was some real, there was, and, and there was some real, the real, some real impacts, which, you know, I mean, many people are aware of some of the pockets in the culture of leadership that was, that was really sinful. It's really toxic. Well, I mean, some of, I mean, some of, we were really, we had a lot of that here. And so some of those wounds are really deep. So a lot of this is we're coming in and having to, I mean, we knew some of the biggest challenges was one, we want to understand um, and that's a heart to heart understanding, even in English, this would have been, this was a pretty difficult ask. And we knew that we, we got it There's a church of about a thousand members, a little under 670 or 970 rather. Um, and we knew that, and there's a church that hadn't grown and hasn't grown actually for the, and has shrank in fact, for the last 16 or 18 years, maybe 16, 17 years. So we knew that, and that there, there's just there's just a lot we're coming in to help. We're, mm. we're 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 trying to be of service and understand and learn. And what is it like to be here? What has it been like? What what are the fears? When you have like ten percent, maybe less of the teens that are baptized. I mean, it's just it's it's a devastating gut shot mm. to the parents. And like yeah. the hope comes to go. It's all, almost where you can you almost begin to think that it might be better if my kids weren't raised in the church. Maybe mm. they would have a better shot becoming Christians if they were reached out to, you know, it's these kinds of doubts, these kinds of things. So for us, we knew that there was, there was a deep history and there's a deep story. And a lot of the challenge, honestly, for us that we felt, especially the first, I don't know, six to 12 months was we're on a listening board. We're here to learn. We're here to understand. Um, and that's, what we did and i feel like we're still learning and understanding and digging and getting mm. you know trying to get an idea of what what happened and it's and it really is difficult i think to uh overestimate how deep those wounds go and how it even continues to affect the culture so for us that that to me was one of the maybe the difficulties but a challenge you know oh absolutely huge and i had heard that from someone else maybe as alcides marias or someone had told me that it had you know, it had been one of the largest churches in South America, and it is probably the church most deeply affected by um, the letter coming out in 2003. So what what's your role there? What, are you leading a Bible talk? Are you leading a small group? Are you leading a region? Like, what what did you step into? So now, um, as of October, I mean, you know, Amanda and I were appointed as the kind of the lead couple, so kind of lead evangelist and leads women ministry leader as in October. We also are directors of the the school of missions here that began in February, almost a year ago now. So we're training, you know, we've got a group of, of I guess, 18 now, uh, young people that are training in the ministry, which is phenomenal. Um, and so when we first came, now the dream and the goal and the hope was that we would be able to, to take that role. But we asked, we said, hey, look, we need time. We need time to build trust. We need time to learn culture, church, language. Um, and the church needs to get to know us. And because we just, if we're going to step into that role, it's got to be something that's very exciting. And it's one of the areas that I think I'm just overwhelmed with pride in the transition uh, even. Okay. So how did you, 
you're stepping in as the the church leader. Congratulations, that's awesome. With a church that's got a lot of baggage, I guess, skeletons in the closet, lots of hurt from the past. How'd you do that? And like, what what advice would you give to to people that are that are trying to deal with with ghosts from the past? Well, we came in and we we started with the campus ministry. Um, in the, in the school of missions group, that young crew to train them. Some of that was because we needed to land somewhere. We needed a ministry. Um, and that made the most sense to start with. Um, and then we also were kind of leading the staff, the staff meetings and starting to work with that group, talk about vision, culture, health. Um, and that was great. They allowed us to build some relationships and get momentum. And I think part of that was it's, it's got to go well where you're at. Like mm. you've got, there's got to be good news. Right. There's got to exactly. be, gotta be you can't just be the idea guy. Or gal, you you gotta you gotta have a proof of concept here. You gotta do something that's inspiring, even if it's small. Start small, and that's great. And so that's what we did. And then we that started growing. We've we've continued to work and 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 do that. So for us now, I think with the school missions and our crew, we're actually expanding out. We're going to be really starting and focusing on young professionals ministry. And then we've got some of the people in our school of missions that are really going to be focusing and really doubling down with the youth. And that's where we feel like we have, we don't really have a Boston type city. We really have a New York. So young professionals really is, is probably more at the dead center of the bullseye for us, which was true even at the early years of the church. So I, we feel like there's a ton of, op, you know, ton of, there's a ton of opportunity. There's a ton of potential there. Wow. So now, now that we have some traction and some things have happened, now we're going to begin to expand and begin to push into those ministries in a great way. And uh, how, yeah. How do you get your hands around 900 or a thousand people. You don't. Uh, I mean, that's the truth. Is that you can't. So I think for us, it's it's we got to lead the team that does it. So for us, a lot of our time is spent with the senior staff and really building the region leaders. And we have an interesting situation because only, I mean, half of the people that are that are region leaders are paid. We just don't. You know, normally you might do some sort of calculus where if you're going to plant a church, maybe you need 60 or 70 Americans to have a, a self-supporting church. Well, that may be double or triple mm. that number just because of the socioeconomic factors. So for us, we've got a lot of challenges. Lay leadership and really growing lay leadership well is a need. Um, and it's not just not just getting titles, but really raising a full team up that can do that. So we've spent a lot of time with our senior leaders. We spent, you know, we've got three elders. And so we're really wanting to build that. And then while we're also, that's our left hand, maybe our right hand is in there with the 18 in the school of missions that are our future leaders, which sorry to drag on a little bit. I mean, this, this school of missions, we're thrilled about it because we have 18 people, only two of which are in their young forties. Everyone else is under the age of, well, really their mid thirties or younger outside of Sao Paulo city and the rest of the country of Brazil, which is the same size as the United States. We only have four people under the age of 50 in the full-time ministry. So to have 18 that are training is, it's a miracle. Now we're at the very beginning of this trajectory. So it's a lot of excitement. We're learning. It's great. You've trained people for a long time. You understand this and, you know, and, but it's what's so amazing and what's so exciting is to see the parents and to see these young people and they're not bringing baggage in from the past about bitterness, about what happened. These are 18, 24, 26 year old people going, I want to play in a church somewhere. I want to be in the ministry. I want to serve. And That's these are, awesome. These are, 
they're raised in the church. So for us, that's we're trying to wrap our hands around that. But this question continues about what the best use of our time is. It's a great question. Right. That, okay. A lot of, lot of add-on questions here, but how do you set goals with a church that's been down in the dumps for a long time? It's, it's had a huge decline and then plateaued and it's done poorly, like you mentioned, for 16 years. Like, how do you set correct expectations? Like, hey, this is our goal. You can't say, hey, we're going we're gonna to double this year. That, that's not going to work. So how do you set a goal that's both challenging and faithful, but at the same time, realistic? I think for us, we got some really, we were seeking a lot of advice when we came. And I think some of the really sage advice was that even for the, the first two or three years, you cannot measure what you're doing numerically. Like you cannot judge yourself by the numbers. And, and in fact, Robert Cadillo was one of those guys, Mike and others of like, you have to judge each day, not by the fruit, quote unquote, you're bearing, but by the seeds you're planting. Like mm. you have to understand where you're at. This is not a mission planting. This Mike and Amrajit planted the church almost 35 years ago with that team of like 18, that 100 baptisms the first year, 200 baptisms the second year. This is a very different situation when you're walking into a very hurting group. Um, and so for us, a lot of it was getting to know what's happening, being patient, and even figuring out, even when we start to talk about numbers, how many old bruises there are and how we talk about health and what godly vision is. Right. And a lot of our job has been redefining words mm-hmm. and aiming at healthy cultural practices mm-hmm. and and trying to get at that and win people in trust. Now, through it's all about the speed of trust. The fact, the more trust we have, then we steer the ship. Mm. So we've been focusing on the center of mass. What are the the core the core senior leaders and the in, the real cultural influencers and the youth who will create inspiration and help us to learn more? So I think we're just starting to aim at some numerical goals, but it's been more cultural for us as at the beginning. Okay, so you 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 really have a target on you. I mean, in the sense that you're American. And I, I could be wrong, but I think that was part of the issue. There was some, some kind of conflict between the previous American leaders and the economic issues and finance issues and things like that. People are looking at you. So what are you doing to protect yourself and to protect the role and to build trust, knowing that people are constantly evaluating you on the staff first and then in the rest of the church? Um, I think, I think for me, this, this, this kind of was my answer a couple questions ago, even kind of like, how do you begin to deal with some of the baggage in the history? And it's, it's kind of like this parallel question of how do you build this trust? And um, especially like when all eyes are on you, like how, how do you move forward from here? And I think for me, what's been really helpful is building really, really close relationships with, with the older generation of, of the women who've been here, who've sacrificed, who have, um, who have who have not gone, who have not left, who have stood strong and have filled in the gap for so many years that mm-hmm. are just heroes. And I think it it really requires a high level of humility on my part. I think of even how we start wading into some of the, the history and some of the baggage is making sure there's a team of older women that know you, uh, that you respect, that you've built a great relationship with, that you have pursued um, that you that you come in asking them questions and getting input at every step of the way, um, 
because you're communicating your process and you're learning theirs and what they've done uh, and really building a team and, and having really healthy communication. I mean, that's really what's being established is establishing healthy uh, networks of connection, of relationships, and team. I think that's huge is team, not coming in. Um, don't do things by yourself, even if you feel fully capable, mm. like it is worth picking up the phone and 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 reaching someone else uh, that's been here. It's only going to help fortify uh, uh, just the, the staff and the team you're building here, and it will help you in these really difficult ministry situations. So. Yeah, I think a lot of the not look, letting someone look down on you because you're young. Mm. I think I used to think this meant that what I need to do is just be more of a cowboy and just like be out there and slay every Goliath or whatever. <laughs> Something like that, which was so much ego. There was actually so much insecurity built into that. And I think part of actually coming out of the ministry, and I think what and that that experience kind of deeply planted in me is humility wins. Mm. Like God makes sure that that's true. Like humility wins. It wins hearts. It wins trust. It wins. It often wins time. We think it's a waste of time, but the 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 slower one step now prevents the five step back later. It allows people to see, oh, I'm, and this is for us of like, we've seen this work in several different ways, but we're open to this functioning in a healthy way. Now we're not interested in sacrificing healthy principles and biblical right. right. but the way it can work in order to build trust and to help people fold along, you know, pulling in the stakeholders and the people who are very influential in the church, I think has allowed us to prove, oh, like they're, they're, they're influenceable. They're listening. And I think that's for us. We've tried to really hard to go, we're here to listen, but also we're, but we, we need to make sure that we're courageous and visionary. And that's right. Love. So we're trying to, we're trying to find that balance, which I don't think we always hit, but we're, that's what we're aiming for. Okay, I want to just change the channel. Do you, do you mind if we go off on a different subject? One thing that's kind of interesting to me about you, Jeff, and this is, I just got to throw this in. You're you're kind of a gadget guy. I mean, I've, I've been surprised a couple times. You've got some really, I don't want to say funny hobbies, but let's say no. unique hobbies. Can you talk a little bit about this? I mean, this is something I've just kind of like lifted my eyebrow, like, well, that's different. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a cool guy like you. I don't like have the hair, went to Japan, play, I don't have all that. I, I, I have to find other things. Um, yeah, well, I guess the, I depends on which ones you're thinking about. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's start. How about start with coffee? Uh, yes, Co coffee. Coffee's an old love. Um, I am a nerd by nature, as I think I've expressed earlier. Um, so I actually, one of the things I love doing, and it kind of recently dawned on me how a lot of the things I love have to do with kind of rituals and also hospitality that that's kind of become a thing. I don't know where, why that has been that way, but so coffee is one of those things that it's, it's a lot of science, but it's a little bit of art. And so, and it's also delicious, the feedback. That you use. So, um, in, in the history of coffee, one to me is actually a very faith building, even the way that God has, how, how the whole story of how coffee even exists the way we have it, but how brilliantly expressive it is of different cultures and uh, just that experience, whether it's in East Africa, down here in Brazil, it's a huge part, a huge part of culture, but, and I've got, I brought, we didn't bring a ton when we came, but I did bring <laughs> my grinder and my espresso machine, and I got an old manual kind of Italian espresso machine. I've got a lot of things I travel with. So I do love it. I do yeah. love it, and I love to share it. 
I mean, um, you, you didn't, weren't you roasting your own coffee at one point? I was, yeah. I, I had to sell the roaster. Taking that overseas was a little bit of a chore, but yes, it did grow up. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is I love coffee. My, my wife and I are both huge coffee fans, but I mean, you just put us to shame like, oh, no, this is this is a completely different level of, of love for coffee. Now, it's not only coffee, but then let's talk a little bit about shaving. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, so I think if, if I know what you're talking about, so I, I've really loved figuring out, like, I love like old classic kind of antique, I don't know, manufacturing. They used to, there used to be a real pride in the way that they would make things. Um, and so I've got straight razors and some, a couple of safety razors that are very old school. So even the process shaving can be monotonous. It's something you got to do. But I think there's also something cool and that can be transformed into a bit of a ritual. And that's a little, I, I mean, little... it's funny because I, I was down there and, and you pull out this, this razor that I hadn't seen since my dad had used. And my dad's <laughs> World War II generation, you know, it's the type yeah. where you, you drop one, it, it kind of clamshells open and then you drop a, a razor in there. And I'm like, Jeff, razor, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Jeff, I use like a, you know, um, Gillette, you know, the plastic ones that you get 36 from Costco or something. I felt really ashamed of myself. Now, anything else that you've, you've got a unique hobby going that I, that I'm missing? No. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I'm like, where do I start? He brought, we brought his, uh, his smoker and he smokes meat almost every day. That's true. He found a um, a meat shop. The men know him. So here's the thing: all these tools are highly evangelistic. <laughs> all the guys. Here's the thing: all the guys here in São Paulo that roast coffee, that have coffee shops, they all know Jeff. And then all the guys within the country know the best coffee shops in other cities and have recommendations. And there, there's a huge connection and network between these places. And, and he gets to tap into that. It's incredible. And so he has his meat shop and his guys there and they know him. And uh, it's, it's amazing. Oh and my gosh. I'm the number one benefactory of, of all of these things. I have the best meat in the country and the best coffee. And I just get to enjoy my morning. It's That's great. It. That's, it's just, it's so funny. I just kind of anticipate you coming up with like a corn cob pipe or something like that, or, you know, oh, houndstooth no, cap or something yeah, like that. Delicious hospitality things. We love like you want great wine. It's, I think it's the artisanal things or something right. really cool about those right. handmade. That's, that's awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah, now back, back to it. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously going to Brazil, that's in the coffee, coffee zone. The equatorial area, right? Obviously, and so, what else is besides soccer and coffee? What else is awesome about Brazil? Oh my goodness, this question is so hard. There's so there's so many amazing things. Um, uh, even to like the smallest detail. So I'm I'm currently wearing some earrings, um, and they look gold. It's literally called cupim dourado, and it's literally golden grass that grows in the north central section, and it's mm. this grass that's literally golden and they use it in all sorts of cool things. And I just, the other day I was thinking, I was like, wow, this is so unique to Brazil. Like no other region in the world grows this. Like that's amazing. And there's a lot of really unique special places that are here. Uh, like 
I remember um, every Tuesday, every Tuesday we have like our farmer's market, it's called our feta. And it was so amazing the first time going there and seeing fruits I'd never seen before in my entire life. Uh, to ask like, what is this? It's okay. So I feel like the whole time I was like, okay, it's okay. So I was like, what is this? What is this? I've literally never seen this. And I had to like YouTube videos. How do I cut this fruit? How do I eat this fruit? Mm. Uh, and I have eaten fruits wrong. And that's, that's a bummer because some that, that, that there's some seeds you should not be eating. And there's a reason why. Um, but it's just, oh, man, like what, what's amazing about this country? I'm like, there's so many amazing things. Uh, I think the culture, the people, um, there's a much more, I would say like minimalist mentality, I would say in comparison to the huge life of everything's bigger in Texas and there's so much space. And, uh, I think like Jeff said earlier, Sao Paulo is a lot more connected to a city like New York where space is, is, it's more minimal, um, in that regard, uh, people walk everywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm going off. A no, little. no, that's good. What, like, when you look back on the past couple of years, you've shared a little bit about that group of 18 younger people that you're raising up that you're really excited about. Have you seen any miracles happen? Anything that you just go, man, this is really God working. This has really been awesome. I think the answer to that is absolutely. I think that just for example, we just, there's a guy that was just baptized in our uh, young professionals ministry. And we're about to we're about to start here, kind of launch our young professional, another young, young professional's Bible talk here that we're going to be having in our house. In fact, tonight, right here in this room. And so he was baptized about, I guess, about a month and a half ago, mid, middle middle of October. And he's brought, um, well, goodness, I think there's, I think he's brought now 10 people. So this is his, uh, I, believe it's, I believe it's his cousin, his his girlfriend or fiance, um, friend and wife. Um, we were studying, we just started studying the Bible last week with another one of his great friends, a young married guy, unbelievably open. And so he's brought probably 10 or 12 people that have visited, probably another, probably eight of them are studying the Bible. And one of them is his mom. Mm. And his mom studying the Bible in our West region with one of the, the elders wives. That's awesome. And, and she's not only learning about Jesus, but she's learning how to read and write. And so... I mean, just in this one, and this was a coworker of one of the other young professional gals. It's actually in a different region, in the North region. And it's what we're seeing is that these young people, as they're getting excited, is it's it's not just changing. It's not like we're finding a friend and we're having we're having a couple of baptisms. Like mm. entire families are transforming. Mm. That is so awesome. And, and you know, one of them was involved in our in professionals, or sorry, our campus ministry here in the West, and kind of the extension of the the, the school missions crew. And now several people have actually come back to church and have been restored in another region. Um, now we're having conversations where this young church planting that's right up the road a few hours, Hibana Preto, is now coming and connecting back and we're getting help and being able to support them. We're seeing these young people that are 18, 19, 20, 21 that aren't just coming into the ministry. We're also seeing people that are they're, they're not only the contribution and the sacrifice is growing in their region, they're now actually raising additional money to pay for these young people to serve. That's awesome. So it, it's, it's, it's souls and it's baptisms and it's restorations, but it's also people in the way they're engaging. And we're seeing these po this pocket, these pockets of revival mm -hmm. that are really, it's really incredible. That's especially awesome. when 
in some ways you have groups of people can in, in our church there's a, there would be a lot of reasons to not right. want to dream but they refuse to not be warm to not be faithful and to not to not be dreamers and I just it's really inspiring it's really amazing mm. Mm. so yeah, in our church sorry to throw this on no here, it's go ahead one of the things in the last about the last 12 weeks in our church there's been 25 baptisms and restoration oh my gosh that's amazing and, and there's 14 more that are counting the cost that'll be getting baptized lord willing in the next two and a half weeks before the before the end of this month what is that is that normal is that is that typical oh. for this oh no 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 we had like we, we had probably in the first almost first nine months of the year i think there were 17. So this wave, this revival of people and of friends and family members, and some people are just watching online and just showing up. So it's and and this, I mean, Lord willing, it's possible we may have we may see almost forty people baptized and restored in the last quarter of this year, which wow. is like almost triple what we saw in the first three quarters. I mean, it's just the Lord is is wow working. Is there anything that you can point to that you go, okay, this? Obviously, it's God working, but anything you point to that you go, okay, this definitely helped contribute toward it. To me, I think it's, I, it's one of those things. I mean, all the many of us have read a lot of books, are very familiar with, you know, Jim Collins and a lot of his work, and and I think it's the flywheel. I, I, do, I don't think there's one thing. I right. Think it's, it's slowly, we've been slowly pushing this whole team, the whole, all the regional leaders and the elders and the, right. and, and the family members and people are buying in and we're going, mm. we're just going to refuse to quit. We're going to love, we're going to share. We're, we're just going to keep going. We're going to get in our Bible. We're going to stay faithful and, and step by step by step. We're going to throw out whatever seeds we can. And I think God is just mm. bringing in a and showing us, no, guys, no, seriously, this can happen again. That, is, small... that is so, so. The, so encouraging. That is fantastic, especially with the history of the church, to see yeah. that you're gaining momentum, gaining traction. And I'm sure that that person, when he was putting the hard sell on you to move there, that was part of the process. And then you're coming in the midst of a really dark time globally with the pandemic and then developing trust, the listening tour, listening, developing close relationships on the staff, and then having a strong leadership, having a great couple like you guys in place to spearhead it. It's, it's bearing good, good fruit. And that is so, so encouraging to hear. Um, I want to, I want to just quickly go back. How did you gather that group of 18 people? Like, how'd you, did you, you know, post something in your announcements like, hey, you want to go in the ministry? We're going to have a little group. Or did you tap on shoulders? Like, how did you get that going? I remember when I first got here, um, somebody told me, uh, school mission sounds cool, whatever. Ministry training sounds great. Love it, bro. If you could find like eight or nine people that would be willing to do the ministry, it would be a miracle. Like I would be completely surprised. Mm. Um and I think we had a list of like 20 or 25 people in the next two or three months that wanted to do ministry. There's so many people that want to train. I and mean, we have another six or eight that we would right. love to include that we might in the, in the next month or two, but it's, we, we never, we didn't, we didn't announce anything. We, I mean, we talked about it a bit from the, you know, from the pulpit in our regions and Hey, this is what we're looking to do. This is what we're dreaming of. 
And some people came up to us in tears and goes, man, we, we've been praying for this together for the last year or two mm. years to, that something would happen, mm. that something like this would happen. We've been dreaming of planning this church. We want to be missionaries. We want to do these things. So, I mean, to me, I think, you know, kind of going back to your previous question, like how, like how did this all happen? I mean, for us truly, I think it's obvious. It's the Holy Spirit has been working in ways that simply, it, it is, it is so obviously him in the hearts of people, reviving this dream, at least planting the seeds, keeping the coal there. But we also have this unbelievably faithful team of region leaders and elders and their wives and these these senior couples that that they weren't the the flashy highlight 10 talent model types that were often viewed as the most valuable in the past. These are guys that their care, they, these men or women, their character and faith is so deep that that the, the, the world crumbled around them and they just wouldn't leave. They just mm. refused to stop loving mm. and serving. And they're just proven. And I think they're the ones that have continued to, yeah, they, they've, they've done a great job. And so I think, man, as people, as the, yeah, as things continue to move forward, I, I looked at the team and I'm like, man, we got a phenomenal group of leaders. Wow. They're doing a phenomenal job. It is great to see your smiles and just to, to hear your optimism. It's, it's exciting. And to hear the good news about what God is doing, that's really, really a building. It's funny, um, here in Tucson, probably three or four years ago, there was a couple reached out to by a guy named Bob Stia at his work. And, and she was a Harvard postgrad and, um, he's like a computer programmer, both Brazilian. And, uh, he's originally from Fortaleza and I think she's from Rio, I think I'm not sure. But anyway, so they became Christians and just been amazing, just super awesome couple. They got a couple of kids. And then more recently, we had a call from a person in Texas and who had a friend living in Tucson who's a young woman studying med in medical school, and she's Brazilian, and her mom. And so that young woman's been studying the Bible. And then I was on campus um, on Halloween with my son-in-law. My son-in-law was born in Brazil. His name's Felipe Marias. And so he said, hey, Rob, let's go sharing on Halloween. Halloween was on a Monday. I'm like, I don't want to go out on Monday. You know, like <laughs> we've been sharing a lot. I don't want to go out there. But, but I did. And the one person that showed any openness, I saw this one girl. Everyone was dressed up in Halloween outfits. And she was wearing a Brazilian yellow jersey. Bright, bright yellow. You've probably seen a couple down there in, in Brazil. So, <laughs> so, I have one. <laughs> so anyway, I went up to her and I said, hey, I'd really like you to come to church. She said, I'd love to. I, I work on Sundays. And so I bumped into her again the same day and said, can I get your number? I'm going to, I have someone in our church who's Brazilian, would really like you to come. Got her number, asked that Brazilian sister to follow up with her. And she did. And a couple of weeks ago, she came and brought her mom. And they've come a couple times now. And we have response cards at our church. And she checked the box, I want to join the church. And so now we have this kind of little, um, you know, small Bible talk size group of Brazilians. And I'm pumped because my oh, in-laws are coming into town and Dacio, Marias, and Diana. And so we're going to have like a Brazilian themed party over this holiday. And, uh, you know... Who knows where it's going to go, but I feel a connection there, bro. So, oh, no, Brazilians always bring party and they will find each other. They really will. <laughs> super, super sweet people. Okay. So, what advice? Let's wrap this up. What advice would you give to a person 
who is considering going on the mission field, who's like, man, I really want to do that, but I'm maybe nervous or I've got kids or I'm older, maybe I'm too old, I'm in my 30s. What advice would you give to that person or to any person who wants to make this life count? I think, I mean, to me, I think what's true is, I think a couple of things. One is that live, live without regret. I think a question that we often ask each other when we're making big decisions is what will I regret in five years? And I think that, and that, that adage of like, it's not the, it's not the mistakes I've made, but it's the things I never tried. Right. That I regret. Right. I, that is the crippling factor. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think, um, and I think if you have to choose, if all else is equal, run to what scares you. Right. Right. That's it. Oh, I'm and with I think, you. And I think a lot of that is honesty. A lot of that is integrity. I think drive, like run to training and run to character. If you do that, man, it's tough. Mm. God uses those kinds of people. Right. And you don't have to move to the other side of the planet. Right. In order to be a missionary, you can do it right in your own neighborhood. <laughs> and the truth of it is, if you won't do it in your neighborhood, you probably won't do it in mine. So <laughs> I think start there. But um, And I think once you get a taste of helping someone's life transform, mm. then I think the big picture really becomes clearer and i think the media can really and if we're not careful we can get hypnotized a little bit about what what the right target is to aim at and i think once our heart stops beating all this stuff won't matter that's right so i think for me i I try to brazil's helped me to keep that really clear and my wife does too and our kids you know and i think that's that's really that's a beautiful thing yeah i think for me i think um doing things that make you uncomfortable I think being a mom with kids, I would totally say this was very uncomfortable, um, but I've loved it. It's, uh, I mean, it comes with its ups and its downs, but I think overall it's been a, a very joyful process of when God calls you just run. Yeah. Uh, I think it's brought a lot of security, uh, us knowing and feeling called that we were supposed to be here and we answered God's call. And so even when things get really hard, it's a lot easier because we're <laughs> we're doing exactly what God called us to do, yeah. um, and it's been easier to find joy in those moments because there there have been some hard some hard mm-hmm. times too. Um, so I think running to uh, just doing things that make you feel very uncomfortable and just a small one uh, it may not be for everybody, but I would encourage is it's been really eye opening getting rid of all of our stuff. Um, I think if every you know, American, especially, or um, just uh, not even American. I won't make it national. I'm so sorry. I think as people just getting rid of our stuff, there's there's something really freeing about like, wow, letting go of anything that ties you, that keeps you comfortable. Because um, then God can use you and move you anywhere. Mm. Uh, so anyways, wow. I think those are my thoughts. Yeah. I think that exercise of one time in your adult life, getting rid of everything you own. Wow. Yes. That's a very, that, that was an educational experience. <laughs> what, okay. So earlier Jeff had said that like, oh, I wasn't able to bring all of my coffee stuff, but percentage wise, <laughs> because of the limited amount of suitcases we had, that still took up quite hey. a solid percentage of the things that we transported we here. here. <laughs> what really brings you joy? Well, Jeff and Amanda, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your example. Thanks for the encouraging news about what is happening in Brazil. And and we didn't even get to talk about Rio or anything like that, but it, it seems like revival has started 
in in um, Sao Paulo, and we'll be praying for you. Thank you so much. If people wanted to reach you, maybe they're interested in joining you down there or supporting you financially, how can they reach you? They can find us if you go to the Disciples Today website. You can find our, our church on there, and they can they can get a hold of us. Um, they can also send an email jthendersonjr at gmail.com. They can email me directly. Find us, um, and then you can also find us where the the São Paulo International Church of Christ or the Igreja de Cristo Internacional de São Paulo. Okay. So people can find us online or email me directly. That's um, awesome. We are excited, and we do have more people than we can than we can hire. So if people are feeling like, man, I want to I want a mission field. I want to I want a place that really needs the support. Um, we're we we do, and we're excited about the way that the stories. You know, there hasn't been a lot of representation of Brazil on the global scale. Right. And we're excited. That's God's awesome. So all the all us. the best to you guys going forward, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for listening to the Rob Skinner Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, here's how you can help. First of all, hit the subscribe button. Secondly, post the episode and its link on your favorite social media site. Let your friends know about it. Also, read and review one of my books. I've got a couple books out. First is How to Plant and Grow a Church. And secondly, Courage, How to Make This Life Count. And so you can buy them on Amazon in paperback or Kindle version, no matter where you live in, this, in, in the world. And I really do hope that you'll listen to those and review them. And finally, just pray for me and for the church here in Tucson, because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no-regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count. Mm-hmm.